0: Boat Trader
1: is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit boattrader.com to get started.
2: From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant podcast
1: with your host, Rob Snow.
3: downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White and this is the 281st episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This episode is the fourth installment featuring Art Noglack, Title Potomac Fly Rodders President and Manager of Orvis in Arlington, Virginia. In this episode, we're going to discuss all things terrestrials. Here are some definitions and histories of terrestrials. This is from the history of terrestrial fishing in the book Terrestrials by Harrison Steves and Ed Cock. During the 1950s, a group of dedicated fly fishers in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, were faced with the perplexing dilemma. The Latorque Spring Run, one of the Cumberland Valley's premier limestone streams, had a wonderful head of stream-bred brown trout, as well as a fair population of brook trout. Both species appear to coexist without the danger of either taking over the stream. Early season fly fishing was great and a fair number of hatches lasted through June. The Latour trout were well known in the local area for their free rising antics day after day. By the end of June, a dramatic change took place and the mayflies disappeared. But the trout continued their voracious feeding through July, August, September, and often into October. A day on the river would often present the angler as many as three dozen free risers working as greedily as they had through the spring and summer. The problem they were not feeding on mayflies, and a few, if any of the regulars along the La Torte's banks ever caught even a pair of the free risers on top. cress bugs, shrimp, or an occasional streamer pattern produced trout fish deep. It was frustrating to say the least. Charlie Fox and Vince Miranero had been fishing the La Torte for some 20 years and intimately knew easily 90% of the browns in the river, where they lived, where they fed, and where they spawned. To Charlie and Vince, each brown was like a part of the family, They could walk visitors along the banks and point out dozens of browns. They even named them the Rosebush Feeder, the S-Bend Brown, the Hanging Willow Feeder, the Monster Under the Buttonwood Roots, and on and on. Their intimacy with the river and its browns amazed visitors for years. Finally, after years of frustration, Charlie and Vince uncovered the latortes guarded secret of the surface-feeding browns of summer. Tiny insects were everywhere, not the aquatic insects that they were expecting to find, but rather terrestrials, land-bred critters, and small compared with typical patterns of spring. They were elated with the discovery, but not for long. Frustration began to set in again as they thought about the challenge of trying to imitate what they found. The following is an excerpt from Fly Fishing Through the Midlife Crisis by Howell Rains, page 238. But there was one tribe of persnickety trout that eluded them feeding on some mystery insect that neither Fox nor Marinero could identify. After lunch, we adjourned to one of Charlie's streamside benches, and he related how this played out. Vince was camping up here, and I said, Vince, catch some of those damn things so we'll know what they look like. So he put up two stakes with a net strung between them. With Fox's urging, Marinero set out to try to figure out which of the ants, hoppers, and other much tinier insects in their net was attracting the Latour trout. I had a fly tying kid in the cabin and I told Vince to get busy. The next day I came in and Vince was beside himself. He said, I know how to take these fish. I know what they're taking and I have got the fly tied up for it. I said, what is it? And he said, it's a jacid. I said, I've never heard of a jacid. And he said, it's a kind of insect. He said, I'll show you. He cast out and said, he'll take it. And he took it. Then I went upstream to a place where I had just spotted five trout the day before. I put the jacid on, and I got all five. Joe Brooks, a well-known writer for outdoor life, got wind of this tiny fly imitating an insect, only one-eighth inch long and so obscure as to have escaped the notice of generations of expert fly tires. The jacid fly, imitating a family of insects once called jacidae and later renamed cicadelidae was not of much use on waters other than LaTorte, but the artistry of its conception, reported by Brooks in Outdoor Life in 1958, established the fame of Fox and Marinero and the dominance of the new Pennsylvania school of fly tires. This is from Ed Shanks' Fly Rod Trouting, page 26. Earlier in the year, during peak June bug season, the fish were keyed in on the terrestrial. Surprisingly, everyone used a sunken beetle pattern, a peacock herb-bodied fly with dark gray or dyed brown duck feather, tied in at the bend of the hook and tied off at the eye. We used this weighted and unweighted, some we tied with a soft brown hackle to simulate legs. Sizes were generally 12 and 14 because the June beetle is a large one. The S-bend pool is still a good one. The lush grasses along the meadows harbor numerous leafhoppers, jacids. Beetles of all sizes, ants, grasshoppers, and crickets, all of which find their way into the water. Mayfly, nymphs, cress bugs, scud, or freshwater shrimp, crayfish, dace, minnows, and sculpins all cohabitate beneath the water's surface. He finishes with, With the coming of the hot weather phase, the terrestrials also find their place in the sun. Along with the trichos, the land-based insects are their thickest and most active. The ants, of course are more in the water in varying numbers throughout the season, but now the grasshoppers are growing, as are the crickets. The little leafhoppers, jacids, are happy to see the hot weather, and beetles of varying sizes and colors abound in the weeds. Jap beetles are clinging to the honeysuckle, wild roses, and jewelweed. Ants are dropping from bridges and tree limbs, and crickets and hoppers make directional mistakes on occasion and plop into the water. In my opinion, the finest terrestrial period is hopper time. The larger trout seem to anticipate the coming of the hopper, which begins with the tiny immature bugs of early summer and ends with the full grown hoppers in August. If a rise is spotted and an accurate cast is made, a hooked fish is inevitable. Casting to all inviting locations is even greater sport than this because it tests my ability to recognize the best holding water and pick out the hot spots such as the undercut banks, overhanging brush or grass or the patch of foam that collects in front of some obstruction. The unknown quantity holds the appeal. Is there a trout laying there? Is he hungry? Will he want what I have to offer? How big is he? All these things run through my mind as I false cast once or twice. The tiny cricket or hopper, imitation, lands just right and begins its float. As the fly swings in against the grass, it disappears with an audible glurp. I react, and a gray brown begins to head-shake and dash for freedom. My tiny rod doubles as I do everything just right, and moments later, the chunky brown is ready for the net. I ease two, three, or more pounds of trout into the damp grass, admire the coloration, perhaps take a quick picture or two, and then remove the barbless fly and gently ease the trout back into the current. This, to me, is even more exciting than fishing the rise. This episode is brought to you by Solo Stove. Every purchase of a solo stove or solo stove merchandise made through my website or social media helps support the fly fishing consultant. Humans have been making fires for a long time. In South Africa, there's a man-made fire dating back 1.2 million years. It's the earliest of such a discovery. In Israel, there are remains of a 300,000-year-old campfire. And no one has been able to improve the fire pit until the invention of the solo stove. Prove me wrong. you light the newspaper and kindling and step back. No need to blow on the flame or embers. The high-tech construction allows air circulation to do the convection of the heat inside. Within a few minutes, the wood starts to burn and releases some initial smoke. Then there's no more smoke until the fire goes out. Next day, you have powdery carbon ashes. Cleanup is simple. You don't stink of campfire when you go to bed. Your clothes don't get burnt from exploding or popping embers. It's time you experience this new status symbol, according to the Washingtonian Magazine. Let's talk to Art now. Art Noglack, we're going to talk terrestrials in this episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Fill us in on your recent fishing excursions and be sure to include that big box of Pat's rubber legs. (laughs)
2: yeah man great so let's see most recent fishing excursions so as it pertains to terrestrials in the last couple months i did a trip to western maryland and i did uh, about three or four days on the on the savage and north branch of the potomac and then actually just the day before yesterday i got back from um, four days central pennsylvania where i fished penn's creek Fishing Creek and Spring Creek as well.
3: So, by chance, did you fish terrestrials preparing for this podcast?
2: You know, I, w- I wouldn't say preparing for the podcast. Definitely, just the seasonality of, of you know time a time of year or whatever. Uh, definitely fish some fish some
3: uh, some
2: terrestrials for sure.
3: Most excellent. <laughs>
2: and since we last
3: spoke on the last podcast, we discussed the tequila fly. Owen Williams checked in. He says, hey, Rob, just caught your chat about largies with Art Noglack, and did a little research on the tequila, one of his favorite smally flies. In his book, Snake River Flies, Boots Allen says that Kim Keeley of Victor, Idaho, created
2: it. Huh. How that's that? a great. That's a great fly. I really like that fly a lot. And it's, uh, it's very popular on the, on the Potomac and uh, Shenandoah rivers.
3: All right. So let's do the terrestrial talk. Why fish terrestrials?
2: You know, I think I think terrestrials are are probably a, an extremely under underused dry fly choice. You know, I was uh, just as an example. It's interesting. I was just re- reading a, a chapter in that Fly Fisher's Guide to Pennsylvania about I think it was about the little the little Lehigh River. My mom's going to be in in Philadelphia in a couple weeks, and I might drive up there and meet her and fish the little Lehigh on the way. I've never fished it. In his little section in the book, he says that. You know, the, there's a trico hatch there, and most of the year, he says you can fish, you know, tricos almost all year long there. And he said the fish are extremely selective about, you know, the size and the gender of, of the trico. He said that, uh, however, if you can't get the fish to eat a trico, throw a hard body ant in in black or red you know size 16 and they're likely to eat that that being said i I, i've you know in my years of fishing i find that i tend to use terrestrials for a lot of different things and you know uh uh, not only are they great for you know dry dropper rigs and things like that and they make excellent you know searching patterns whether it uh whether it be in the you know spring summer or fall often when you have a, a fish that or multiple fish that are rising very sporadically and you can't seem to get them to eat your mayfly imitation or your spinner or whatever the case is. Um, one of the best things you can throw at them is a, is a, is a terrestrial, which I think will increase your, your odds to catch that, to catch that riser.
3: Do you think it's because some meat taste better or that it's a larger protein packet in one bite?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak to the, you know, what they taste like, but, you know, I think they're very difficult to resist, right? I think I think it's something that fish always see, or they they see it on a, on a regular basis. You know, and yeah, they they typically tend to be, you know, a little little larger, I think, than a lot of the a lot of the mayflies and caddis species that you see at least here in the East Coast. You know, I, I think they're a lot. I think they're a lot less. You know, they're they're more consistent in in terms of you know you see them all day long. You know, as opposed to you know uh, an evening hatch, for instance. You know, I mean there'll be some ants in the water all, all you know all day long and there'll be some beetles and especially if you have like a like a wind a, li- a little bit of wind tends to blow a lot of ants and, and and bugs and beetles and you know hoppers and crickets and things like that into the water so I think it's a it's a good it's a great choice and I, especially on the east coast you know we, we don't tend to use them enough
3: when we say terrestrials what specific insects do most fly anglers think of and we'll get into the the west coast versus east coast thing in a bit just like the hip hop
2: yeah right <laughs> you know I, I i think it's definitely hoppers beetles crickets ants i'm sure i'm missing some but but i think that that's i think that that's what they're what they're thinking of
3: and it's odd because there are so many <laughs> bugs out there but we really only consider a handful of them no one really fishes yeah. praying mantises no. they do the jason in pennsylvania there's so many varieties spite- of bugs
2: I have seen some spider flies. Yes. I've also seen more, more recently, you know, I entered that Norvice competition during, during COVID. You know, I tied that, that snake fly, you know, and it didn't win. And it also didn't catch any fish either. I, I tried to fish it on <laughs> this most recent trip. But I saw some, some hornet flies that, were, that entered into the contest, which I thought was, you know, really, really creative. Do you find there's a seasonality to fishing terrestrials? You know, definitely. I I mean, I think that new winter months aren't aren't very good. Uh, You know, I think, you know, if you're fishing dry flies in the winter, you know, it's typically you're waiting for a warm day, you know, depending on where you are, you might see, you know, some some olives and and every now and then you'll see some, you know, black stone fly hatches and things like that. But, you know, rarely do I see any kind of terrestrials on the water or even on the, on the ground and the banks for that matter in the, in the winter time or, or late fall or even early spring um, but you know kind of mid mid to late spring and all throughout the summer and early fall I think terrestrials are, are a pretty good choice you know that being said if you're fishing to fish that are rising very consistently to something odds are it's not a terrestrial but you know if you're walking you know down the stream and you're fishing and all of a sudden there's a big blow up or, or a, a random rise with no follow-up rise no bugs on the water odds are it was a terrestrial. So often when I hear people say like yeah you know you'd see a fish rise every now and then but nothing consistent you know my gut tells me to oh you know I first thing I do is I go in and I get a um, you know a, a Travis Parrot ant or you know I I tie it a little differently I use calftail, but more more recently a favorite has become uh, in our shop anyway has become the uh, the flathead beetle which is a basic. You know, beetle imitation, uh, Rosenbauer beetle is a really good one too. And, you know, I've got a lot of my favorite terrestrials, but um, ants and beetles are usually my go-to fly to throw if, if I can't figure out what a fish is eating or, or rather if the fish is rising, you know, sporadically and, and, and consistently rather.
3: Do you think there's a hatch matching Maybe like when there's something like cicadas or locusts, or do you think a lot of it is just opportunistic?
2: Well, totally. I mean, you know, there are certainly times, man, when when terrestrials require a hatch matching, you know, if you will. One, you know, I, I speak with the for the East Coast, you know, I've done you know quite a bit of fishing out west, but mostly in the east. You know, like for instance, like the the West Branch of the Delaware, which is, you know, pro- probably one of my, my favorite rivers on the East Coast. It gets a flying ant, you know, in, in late August. And and those fish will hone in on that pattern, on that, on that bug. And you better have something that that looks like it when they do. And and you'll be mistaken often uh, when that when that ant is on the water and you'll you'll throw in all types of things, spinners and you know, trichos sometimes even that, that time of year I've seen on that river. And you, you know, you scratch in your head of what those fish are eating, but it it will be those those flying ants. Um, You know, uh, although I've never really gotten into an amazing cicada uh, uh, hatch, you know, I've definitely been places where, you know, cicadas had been, um, but yeah, you, you know, you better have something big plopping on the water that, that resembles, you know, what they've, what they've been eating, eating for sure.
3: What makes you decide which terrestrial you're going to pick out of your box? Do you collect things? Do you look in spider webs? Do you look at the grill of your car? And I have noticed on all the road trips we've done this summer, there are no bugs on the car, and I've had to clean the windshield maybe once because there's just so many fewer bugs than when I was a kid. I don't know if you've noticed that, but...
2: But, but you did tell me that there was trichos in, in the spider webs recently. Yes. When you were up in PA, and I confirmed that on Spring Creek, we looked in some spider webs, and, and there were... Uh, there were some trichos or, or maybe it might've been on, uh, excuse me. That might've been on fishing Creek. I think it was on fishing Creek. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm always try- you know, looking around a little bit and, but, you know, I mean, truthfully, I'm always under the impression that ants <laughs> are around. I'm hoping that a fish will inevitably respond to a beetle or a hopper or something like that. But, but typically, you know, my go-to is a low profile ant Especially if that fish is, you know, if I'm fishing to a rising fish, right, if I see a rise and it's a soft rise and I don't see, you know, it doesn't come up again or there's a long time in between where it came up and came up again or if if a fish comes up and then it kind of, you know, another fish comes up in a different area and there's, you know, no consistency. Yeah, I would say an ant is probably my go-to, my go-to pattern to tie on, you know, between 12 and 16, black.
3: We'll get into that later. Don't jump ahead, my man. Okay. All right. I want to hear a good story. You and Joe Humphreys fishing terrestrials.
2: I've never fished any, any, uh, terrestrials with, with Joe. I did get to, I did get to fish in his backyard with him a little bit with some nymphs and he did a, uh. Presentation with us, and um, when I worked in Orvis in Pittsburgh, and I drove him home, and we spent a little bit of time there. I also got to see, uh, in in his house, I also got to see that state record uh, brown. Yeah, brown. He he had a really cool, you know, he had it mounted, and, and I believe that was actually caught on on Fishing Creek, and it was really sad too. When I when I came back home from that trip. I had found out from Tom Rosenbauer that his wife had actually passed away like the next day, right at, right after I was there, like a day or two later. Or whatever. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a bittersweet, uh, sweet trip. Yeah. You know,
3: Joe Humphreys landed a 21 inch Brown at one o'clock this morning, according to social media.
2: I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. It yeah, is
3: nuts. And what gets me about him after watching the documentaries that his grandfather Fought in the Civil War.
2: I can't oh, get over really? that. Yes, no, I didn't. I didn't know that either.
3: Of all the crazy stuff in in that movie, "Live the Stream," that part yeah. stuck out. I just couldn't believe that.
2: Yeah, I haven't even. I haven't even watched it in in its entirety yet. I've seen like bits and pieces of it and things like that. We'll do it uh-huh. in the carport one night with the,
3: with the projector. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> How do you keep your terrestrials dry once you fish them
2: or once just like i under- do all my dry flies man I, I, oh yeah oh i see right you know so you know i use a combination of two products for all, almost all my dry flies there are some exceptions you know if it has cdc or something like that but but and and i think this is the way that that i was taught and i'm pretty sure that this is the way it was intended but you have like sort of the you know i use the orvis stuff obviously I Use the orvis gel floatant, right and and i initially put are that in the bathroom on my dry fly right and then are you, uh are you in the bathroom right now no no my wife is uh pouring water into a into a bottle oh, uh, all you. all the thousands of rob's listeners is, are here look i'm gonna hear that yeah. She's filling up a Nalgene. That's what that is.
1: Um,
2: but I put, you know, I put that on the dry fly first. Right. And, and, you know, and before I fish it and that kind of you know, repels the water and prevents it from, from getting into the fly. But a- as we all know, eventually the, the water does get into the fly and the fly becomes waterlogged. Well, instead of applying more gel, to the already waterlogged fly, which will inevitably sink due to its, you know, new, you know, due to its change in weight because of the uh, the absorption of the of the water. Then I'll use the shake float, which, quite interesting. A friend of mine, Adam Cook, who who actually visited, uh, came on this this last trip with us to Central PA. Had a a big what looked to be a protein powder container filled with this stuff that he got somewhere, but you know, it's the, it's the shake stuff, you know, uh, um, uh, the silica substance that I'll use to absorb all the water that's in the fly. And then I'll apply more of the, you know, of the, of the gel. Right. So I, so I use those two products together and that's what keeps my, my flies floating. I like it. Does that, does that make sense to you, or yes. is, is that normal? Um, I, f- I feel like those products are intended to be used together, not which one's better. It's, I think they're supposed to be used together. I like it. I could,
3: I could be wrong, though. Are there any misconceptions that you hear, whether in the shop, on the stream, by the campfire, about terrestrials? Like, say, that- you can only fish a terrestrial in September, or...
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's often... know I think it's often associated with summer and and fall you know and and early fall but honestly like you know I don't know some of the the best fish I've ever catch are on like chubby Chernobyl's in spring (laughs) you know when there's nothing hatching or you know and definitely no like hoppers or big stoneflies or anything like that you know you know, I think there's something to be said using terrestrials as, as searching patterns. And I think there's even more to be said about, you know, using them as, uh, you know, a means to get, to find larger fish that might, you know, come, come up and eat, um, a surface pattern. Excellent. Do you ever hear just
3: strange sayings about terrestrials while you're in the shop over here is someone's conversation
2: anything memorable stick in your mind man i I don't know i'll 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 think about it well don't put me on the spot now but i'm sure i have heard some things let me circle back to that i'll 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 keep that in mind what are some obscure
3: terrestrial patterns that people either overlook or don't even think about fishing or never heard of
2: turk's tarantula that's a great fly and it's really fallen out of popularity. I mean, I you know, I know people fish it in the West still, but that, that's just a wonderful fly. And you can strip that thing, too, and twitch it. And, you know, I mean, if you've never seen it before, I, I guess it's kind of a, what is it? A, you know, it's a mix between a, a, a royal coachman, a PMX, and a muddler minnow with rubber legs i mean right it's a it's a funky looking thing but that's a that's a great a great bug i'm also a you know a proponent i I fish a lot of two dry fly rigs right and i'm i'm not always but but often uh fishing two dry flies and often one of those dry flies are terrestrial on that lead fly
3: i think a caddis fly just threw flew past me in my office There's either a caddisfly or a moth in here. Yeah. could have come out of the aquarium. Okay. Uh, How do you organize your terrestrials in a fly box?
2: You know, basically what I do, and, you know, I I tie most, you know, most everything that I fish, I I tie, you know, there's definitely some exceptions. But what I I do is when I sit down to tie things, I, you know, as you know, I tie things in like a hundred, you know, or you know, three dozen, six dozen. And I kind of have like boxes put away of everything I need for that pattern. And then, you know, I'll take a few out of those boxes and kind of get them into my working, sort of working dry fly box, you know. Um, And all the terrestrials definitely go together, you know. So I organize my, my dry fly boxes like trichos and midges, right? It's usually trichos and midges, caddis, caddis emergers, and then sort of sulfurs by common name, you know, or excuse me, uh, mayflies by common sort of name, right? You know, so you'll have a, you know, you'll have your sulfurs and your Hendricksons and things like that, and some of their duns and emergers. I'll have attractor patterns, right? You know, I'll have some stoneflies and I'll have attractor patterns, or I'll have my patriots and my, you know, stimulators and my Coachmen, you know, coachmen or wolves rather, and coachmen's and things like that. Parachute Adams, and then I have all my terrestrials in the bottom right-hand corner of every every box I've ever ever used, and those will, you know, include my all the types of things we've we've discussed. Do you have a preference <clears throat> for style of fly box? Um. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm pretty simple guy, man. There's some. <laughs> there's a lot of great boxes out there that we carry that are good for. But I, I just kind of like the old school foam, <laughs> double sided. Um, I, You know, I do like the little slots as opposed to the, uh, you know, having to push the hook into the. What do they call those things? Morel, more. I can't remember what the name was those boxes. But yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of like the double sided foam. They float and they're really lightweight. They you know, the be lightweight orange. The lightweight helps me. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love like the tacky products and things like that. I, I I think they make a phenomenal product. I wish they'd put that in, in a foam container. Yeah. Because I would I would buy it. I, I would be all over it if they put it in a lighter weight a lighter weight container. Do you know of any regional favorite patterns? Uh yeah. Like regional favorite uh terrestrials? Yeah. Man, you like you mean for this area? This you ever hear
3: like say out in Yellowstone they're particular to this one, whereas in you know the Dripless area, Wisconsin, they like this one.
2: No, I can't. I guess I don't. I mean, other than the names of them, I mean, you know that like you know we've fallen in love with that flathead beetle in the shop, and I'm I'm sure you know if we do the, do our research, I'm sure we'll find that that's probably you know up near <laughs> up near Glacier or something like that. You know, obviously the, the Latort hopper, which is something in cricket, uh, which is something I've used. I mean, I you know I've had a lot of fancy grasshoppers in my life, but I have probably caught the most fish on those Latort and Dave's hoppers type of variant. You know, and I'm sure you know. Obviously, we we know that's born on the on the Latort River. The
3: noble ant was on the Green River, in Utah, I believe. Oh, was it really? Okay,
2: yeah. That's i want to say scott sanchez was involved with that too i'm i'm making i'm i'm making plans to go to utah next year actually utah get yeah. me two and really? lemonade oh man <laughs> what
3: about the chubby chernobyl any and you know where that came from i have no idea
2: where, where it came from you know I'm, I'm not very good with history of flies But I I love that fly and I, and I tie it, um, I I tie, I have to tie it my own special way. I don't, I don't always, always like the way that, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm like that with almost everything, not everything, but a lot of things I tie, but I I love it. I love that fly.
3: what is your favorite type of water to fish a terrestrial? Do you like a stream in the woods? Maybe some overhanging trees. Do you like a pasture like Mossy Creek or the Latour? Do you like tailwaters? waters? No,
2: I think I think they're everywhere, man. I mean, you know, you know, obviously, you know, certain terrestrials work, you know, really well in certain certain environments, you know, but um, I I, I think there's terrestrials everywhere. I think I think that that's one of our most common, you know, bugs and food sources that we see on streams, you know, because there's such a variety of different insects. You know, I, I don't know what a terrestrial even is, right? Uh, I'm sure it's like just what, like a non-aquatic invertebrate that happens to be an insect, maybe. I don't, I don't know what what that designation includes. There's,
3: there would be a definition in the intro. Oh,
2: nice, yeah, nice. I will, I will have um,
3: a, a definition for people.
2: Yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah. I mean, you know, re- regardless if there's good mayflies, or regardless if a stream has got you know a lot of aquatic you know insect life in them you know, in the water and, and it's substrate and, and in the rocks and things, there's definitely, you know, <laughs> insects outside of that. And, and many of those I think are probably uh, the types of bugs we're discussing. So I, I'm always pretty, pretty confident if I have, you know, some terrestrials regardless of the makeup of the river.
3: Let's move into tying these terrestrials now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: All right. What are you trying to accomplish when you tie a terrestrial? What's your end game besides catching a trout?
2: You know, I think, uh, well, uh, you know, I want float. I want it to float high and I want it to, you know, have the illusion of, of, of you know, motion and movement, right? You know, so whether if I'm tying a simple, you know, parachute ant, you know, I'm, I'm selecting, you know, high quality hackles that I know are gonna, you know, look good and appear to be legs and help to, you know, keep the fly afloat you know, and as well as, you know, whether I choose dubbing or deer hair to, to make the body. And, you know, I wanna make sure I have a nice visible post on that fly so I can see it from, you know, far away or regardless of whether it's, you know, I might have low light or a glare or something to that, to that effect. You know and and variety of colors to match uh you know the types of bugs that 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 may be around and some some that aren't that don't match you know i mean i've floated down rivers in montana where guides love to use purple hoppers and pink chubbies and you know uh, and, that, and that sort of thing just because you know the fish you know happen to be attracted to those plus they can they can see them very easily
3: that kind of is a good overview for everything else we'll talk now what about the hook length and gap and weight and eye orientation? We've discussed hook gap in detail on streamers. What about hook gap on a terrestrial? I like a nice wide gap for a beetle.
2: Yeah, I'm the same way with, with ants and and or excuse me, I'm the same way with it. With uh, anything, I'm using foam. With foam, anything I'm palmering a body onto, I typically like a little bit of a wider gap. But if I'm if I'm if I'm dubbing a body, that that's not as important to me, right? Two x and three x long shanks become critical with a lot of your terrestrial patterns, especially when you get into crickets and hoppers and you know Chernobyl type you know foam flies. Yeah, I mean I, I think that those are it's critical to have have longer hooks. So most of these flies aren't going to fit. On your, you know, on your standard, you know, dry fly hooks that, that you might use for your, you know, you know, for a parachute Adams or something like that.
3: Do you have to use lighter wire and gauge hooks to keep them afloat? Where I say you yeah, tie something on a, a heavy wet nymph hook and eventually it's going to sink. Yeah, flies I mean, not
2: you know, I think it depends. depends on the fly, right? You know, a lot of people that, that you know, fish out west, they use stouter hooks on some of their, you know, on their on some of their chubbies and and other things you know because they have you know bigger fish that come up and eat on a regular basis and they can typically get away with that you know because there's so much polypro or you know zelon or you know however it's packaged the the stuff you find in your pillow hanging off of it that that it'll keep it afloat or foam you know or or deer hair.
3: what about eye orientation
2: do you like a straight eye down eye you know, I go back and forth with it, but I, I typically like a down eye. You know, I, I feel like I can thread it better. I'm not really sure it makes much of a difference, on a, especially on a big fly like that. You know, typically, I used to live by the rule that if it was a parachute pattern, I'd fish a straight eye, right? And if it was a Catskill-style dry fly, I'd fish a downturned eye
3: could you explain the catskill style for those that may just be tuning in for the first time sure
2: so a parachute you know style fly kind of like a kind of like an adams you know basically you can take all your mayfies and you can break them down into you know, three different categories you know historically there's probably more but you know the first one is um uh, let's say your, your catskill style flies right so it's like the you know traditional adams um you know uh, Black gnat, a uh, you know a uh, you know dark and light Hendrickson's, and and you know the list goes on and on and on, and, and these flies typically have a hackle that's palmered around the hook, and, and so and those hackles help to perch the fly up very very high, right? They they're almost like, like almost like little legs, right? And so the Catskill style flies typically are used for heavier, you know, heavier water, right? Water that's, uh, you know, broken and that, that fly rides really high. Um, parachute style fly, the, uh, you know, the hackle is, is wound around a post that's on top of the hook typically. And, and, and usually that hackle actually isn't touching the hook at all. And this, uh, this, uh, uh allows the fly to ride much lower in the surface of the water. And it's actually even more indicative to, you know, almost like a like in a merger, uh, you know, or uh, I, w- I wouldn't say in a merger, but, but it, it's definitely riding lower in the water than a catskill fly that's perched way up on top. And then, you know, your your third kind of style of, of dun, of adult mayfly, it would be a, a comparadun. And a comparadun is used for, used in water that is really flat. And, and the fish are, you know, often very, very spooky. Uh, and that's tied with a, you know, with a deer hair wing that is also on, on top of the hook only. It's a very, very sparse, uh, sparse ties. And, and those are great for riding extremely low in the water and, and are really one of the stealthier ways. And that, any, anything beyond that is almost in a merger where it's fishing, you know, in the film or just underneath the film.
3: Excellent, excellent explanation. Now there are a myriad of hooks for specific flies. You've got clink hammers, and you've got your special hooks for poppers, and you've got curved hooks. Are there any specific hooks made for a terrestrial pattern?
2: Yeah, no, cer- certainly there are. As a matter of fact, let me let me grab my hook box and I'll, I'll rattle off a couple model numbers for you. So, there's some hooks that, I oh mean, I used to have all these memorized at one time. I mean, not all of them, but some of them. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some hooks that, that have much longer shanks than normal. But um, are they
3: designated, like, beetle
2: hook, ant hook, hopper hook?
3: Um. Because you go specifically would buy a clink hammer hook. Right. Or a right. popper hook that's got the little...
2: I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're designated specifically as a terrestrial hook. To answer your question, no, not not that I've seen. I'm sure that that something out there uh, definitely exists, um, but I, I've never run into it. But you know, uh, uh, typically they're. You'll see them called like stone fly hooks. Sometimes I have seen that. Uh, and those are great for uh, for terrestrials. The same things they'll tie, like, you know, salmon flies or stone flies on. You know, I really like, you know, anything with a, with a long shank, you know, 3X long shanks on dry fly hooks are, are really good. I mean, I'm actually out of most of that stuff because I just tied a ton of terrestrials. I just tied dozens of beetles, ants, hoppers, um, chubbies. I think, I'm, I think I'm running running pretty pretty low on um, some of that. I got some uh, some size 10 2x long trifly fly hooks here with a downed eye, and those are definitely definitely on the list. The hooks I was thinking of I don't I don't have any right now, so I can't remember the uh, the model number. Yeah, sorry, bud.
3: I can't imagine where you'd be able to find them.
2: Yeah, I'm sure
3: right. <laughs> How are you on on the short Senyo shanks right now?
2: I have I have them. Yeah. Right, I, I, I got them. What are you using them for? You tie in for steelhead fish? Yeah,
3: for? I'm filling on my Etsy store with Great Lake steelhead flies and I oh, ordered perfect. a bunch of stuff through Orvis at the Pro Deal, but they didn't have the small ones in stock.
2: And are you using those for intruders or what are you intruders. using?
3: Intruders. hmm yeah. Cool. All right. What about – you mentioned colors, the purples and pinks. But when a fish looks up, maybe on a bright day, everything should sort of look black because it's silhouetted against the sun. Do you think I overestimate what I think is a stupid trout and what they can see? Or do you think they
2: actually can see varieties of colors? I don't know, man. I, I You know, I, I've gone back and forth. this I, I think they see the colors. They have to, right? I mean – you know, I, I have seen one fly, you know, work much better than another fly on the surface. You know, and I think largely because of the color. You know, I mean, I, I remember, you know, again, this is a this is a Montana float. I remember a day that we fished. It was with it was with Sean McPhee, who is in that on that show, Mountain Men. We fished the we fished the Kootenai. and. One guy ran, you know, you know, I ran a normal, normal chubby Chernobyl Chernobyl and I was in the front of the boat, and mine was in, you know your standard whatever tan color, and the guy in the back of the boat ran the ran the pink. You know, there was a, another guy at that at Linnehan Outfitting Company there, which was one of my favorite outfitters in the West, and maybe just outfitters in general. This other guy, Eric, tied all, I think it was Eric, he tied, oh, no, 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 excuse me, his name was Sam, the guy who tied all the flies was Sam, tied all these pink chubbies and all the guys were buying these little pink chubbies from him, and the dude with the the pink one, I mean, outfished my tan one, two to one. I was, not only was in the front of the boat, um, I was also the more experienced angler, and on that day, you know... it was the pink one, you know, in the same size. The only thing different was, was that the color. So I, I think they might see it. I think they might see it. Okay.
3: We did find a pinkish grasshopper and Katy dids do come in a fuchsia pink. If you look that up, it's i uh, I'm going to look it up. So for people, it's a hot pink Katy did. I forget if it's melanistic. Hot pink K A T did yeah google hot pink in north america katie did green isn't the dominant color if man on you your had... phone look up pink katie did it's crazy looking imagine we fishing just... terrestrials for steelhead that's what you would have
2: <laughs> we had some amazing um uh, food and beverage on this on this last this last trip up in pa man you would have uh, you would have had a, a great time we did this really good beer that i haven't had before and, and some pretty pretty good stuff from uh, from the Buffalo region. Was it Buffalo? No, yeah. we didn't have buffalo, but we had um, we had some beers, um, these really great sours from. Um, oh, I don't do sour beers, man. That stuff's oh. sours. The, no, uh, the Gozas? And so these were these were different, man. These taste like candy. They were really good. They weren't too sugary, though. From Froth Brewing Company, you know they had some various you know, mixes in these, um, and, and they were they were phenomenal. They were great, perfect for the weather. We had, uh, uh, man, we had some, uh, Richard did up some, like, really good pork collars from this place, uh, Moriarty Meats in Buffalo. We got, uh, like, stone ground grits from uh, now you're talking. Sa- South Carolina. White from, or uh, yellow grits? Should have been white. So, so, so we had a couple from uh, from Geechee Boy Mill. We had a we had a blue grit, like a blue corn grit. Really? Yeah, and I think I think the other one was a yellow, a yellow. But but I'm gonna look them up. I need to get that information. You you got to. I, I first time I ever had these, and they all they do is heirloom grits. Yeah, that's my thing. Uh, and and I went, I came home, and I immediately went to their website, <laughs> and I immediately bought these unicorn grits that they had some yellow grits and uh they have these jimmy red uh grits that are extremely um you know i guess pretty pretty rare like the the corn was actually almost extinct at one point from from what i read and they brought it back so uh those actually might be waiting for me downstairs right now so i'm i'm super excited to uh to get cooking with some of those,
3: man. You know what's the greatest way to cook grits, and it totally sucks for you? What's that? An Instapot.
2: Oh, yeah, because I gave you our Instapot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we made
3: some awesome grits this week, in it?
2: Oh, really? Oh, it's okay. so good. Yeah.
3: We actually don't put cheese in it, because then when it goes in the fridge, it just gets gloopy. Mm. All right, let's talk about additional things on terrestrials. Do terrestrials need eyes on top
2: no of course they don't need them you know it makes it more fun yeah it makes more fun i i love making my flies look funky like little cartoon characters or whatever
3: your green froggy thing just looks like a muppet
2: oh yeah (laughs) that witch doctor frog yeah yeah um yeah i you know i i like it i i think it you know i think it adds a little bit of you know, funkiness to the fly, I, it certainly doesn't add any more realism to it, I, I think, as, the, as it relates to the fish. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, you spend a lot of time on something, you, you tend to, I think you tend to fish it better, I think you tend to cast it better. So, you know, there, there's just something to be something to be said for, you know, taking pride in, in, in what it is you're making and, and the workmanship and just kind of going that little bit of extra mile. You know, is it gonna help you catch any more fish? I don't know maybe but you know it certainly makes you happy with it right (laughs) I want to talk about
3: rubber legs and their awesome importance but why is it that round rubber legs are marketed as medium round rubber legs but there's no large and or
2: small round rubber legs you know I, I don't I don't know there there's there are certainly different kinds of rubber legs out there that are better for, for for dry flies than others, right? But sometimes you just got to go with what you got, right? I mean, there there's definitely specific insect legs that that companies like you know Wopsy makes. I don't I don't know what uh, what they call them, but they're they're super thin, and it'll say like insect legs on the package. You know, those are a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think they offer a little bit more centipede movement, centipede legs, maybe that might be it. Um, I'd have to go digging, um, but there, there are definitely some, uh, the, the other, the other one that's really good for that is that, uh, that span flex, which is what the original Pat's rubber leg was, was tied on. Those are big fair, um, uh, uh, tri-fly legs for, for terrestrials as well.
3: I pretty much stick. To the round rubber legs, I don't like silicone legs. I don't like the flutter legs. I like the way the round ones just tie in. And for my black cricket, I just like the way they knot and stick out to the side. You know,
2: I, I use with what I got, man. Like you know, like the the you know, I, I really like those flathead beetles, so I did you know a few dozen of those. And all I had with, in black was the flutter legs, so I use them. You know, I, I don't think it's going to matter a ton. All right.
3: What action are you trying to get when one of these lands on the water? Are you trying to do anything when you tie it to impart an action? Wobbly legs,
2: maybe a little kick. You know, beetles, I like a plop. Definitely. Right. So, you know, doubling over foam and, you know, making sure you get like a real thick, you know, body of peacock hurl, which is what I like to use for the for the body. And, and sometimes doubling up on the foam. Right? You, know, you might use two millimeter foam, you know, well stick you know stick two pieces of that together and i got four millimeters you get more of a plop when it hits the water right I'm glad you know same, your math yeah same yeah, right same exact same exact profile if you had gotten that wrong uh, yeah but uh, but a little bit a little bit more weight and, and it'll more still flow it'll yeah. still flow right yeah
3: do you ever use the river road creations cutouts
2: i've never used them no I, i've seen you Dude, they no, make seen, custom ones i have a
3: custom handmade one for my scorpion bug
2: do you and i've also seen you use those cut out
3: for beetles and chernobyl oh it just makes yeah. it so clean you can yeah. just go through and just pop 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 right
2: no I, I i don't do that man i um you know i i cut them all ahead of time and you know <laughs> i maybe i should i don't know there's a new there's always, one there's that's always stuff that, you know you, you get you know I've been tying for a long time so there's all kinds of like new stuff that always comes out and I just don't even i not even think to think to try it you know and I always tie a lot of things at once right so again i just did you know here you know as an example i just did 150 pat's rubber legs in various sizes and colors and shapes and i'm i'm gonna fish those i ran out of them I'm gonna fish those. Well, it's gonna take me a while to get to get through those, you
3: know. It's like um, Costco, you gotta bulk one and... Yeah. Oh, and apparently stock up on paper towels. That's the next shortage coming.
2: Oh really? Yeah. But okay. well, by the time I sit down to tie Pat's rubber legs again, there'll be all kinds of new chenilles, I'm sure, and all kinds of new legs and you know. I've gotta
3: give you some of my Helgermite <laughs> chenille to tie Pat's rubber legs. I think those would come out filthy looking.
2: Oh, that's the really one that cool. you, uh, you won't tell anybody what it is, right? I'm not allowed to. It's a secret, right? That's yeah. not.
3: It's not. It's not my thing. I was sworn to secrecy, and, and I found it. And was like, ho, ho. ho. the yeah. person wouldn't tell me.
2: Huh? Yeah, and that's. Uh, yeah, that stuff. Uh, that, that that's pretty cool stuff.
3: I need to give you just yeah. I'll, next time you come over, instead yeah. of giving you just as many grizzly caves as you want, I'll give you some yarns. Yeah.
2: All right, yeah,
3: yeah man. Yeah. Right, do you ever tie weed guards so you can throw a hopper up like in the the brush and overhang and drag it off
2: i I don't man I mean I you know I have, but i, I usually don't put put weed guards on on things.
3: How big is too big for a hopper or any terrestrial
2: you know on the e- in the east, I think you know I think once you get past eight you you're getting you're getting pretty big man you're get, you're, pre- you're probably you're probably already too big. You know, I got I, like 12s and 10s here on the East Coast, right? You know, the occasional eight, right? And in the, in the West, it's more, you know, eights and sixes, right? But the occasional 10, if the water's really low and, you're, you know, you're on a small stream.
3: Do you have a preference in materials to keep them afloat, be it foam, hair, balsa, or cork?
2: You know, I've never done any uh, wooden terrestrials or cork terrestrials. Cork bee? No, I've never, I've never tried one. Um, just, just poppers. Like I, in my beetles and my hoppers. Well, like my, you know, I don't really do a foam hopper. I do foam chubbies, right? And I, I call that you know that covers hoppers and stoneflies and you know and everything. But the hoppers I do are are natural right you know so I do a you know I do a combination of you know deer hair a deer hair wing with a with a parachute hackle and 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 a calf's tail post and I'll do pheasant tail legs and I'll do a body of you know uh, uh you know Ooh. dubbing you know and it's usually uh you know it might be like an antron or you know a Spectra bend dry fly or, you know, something, something of that nature are the, you know, kind of my, that's sort of my like Dave's slash Latour hopper that I, that I fish and I'll do it in a, in a 10 and in a 12, right. know I'll do a Latour cricket, you know, which is deer hair, uh, um, and a, and a turkey quill, you know, wing, and and dubbing for the body and you know you can turn it into a dave's by doing a black pheasant tail legs on it if you if you want um so i i I prefer those i prefer the the natural fibers on the east coast i think i think they look a little bit more realistic personally um than the foam stuff
0: um
2: i like the way they they float a little bit better than the than the foam stuff right i you know i I like these hoppers to kind of ride you know you know, a little bit lower in the water column. I think they, I think they look more realistic that way. But you know, that being said, if I want to do a, if I want a searching pattern, it's probably going to be the chubby. So I, I guess I fish both, but but I, I prefer to tie, and I prefer the look of the natural of the natural fibers.
3: I Good guess. It. All right. What do you use as sight indicators? You mentioned earlier was a calf tail instead of something else on one.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I like that Travis para ant a lot. You sell So sell it in the shop for years. It's a great bug. It floats really high, but he uses the, you know, the PolyPro post, you know, in orange or whatever. I, I prefer white posts and sometimes I'll do a different color, but I prefer calf tail posts. You know, I like it way- as well. Is there a preference for color that you can see from a distance? Yeah, my 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 preference is almost always white, but I, I've found that to be, you know, to vary between angler to angler, right? Like what what works for me might not work for somebody else, right? So I, I like the calf tail better personally. So I I switch that out, and I, I use when I if I have a post on something, it's likely going to be of calf tail, um, or, or, or or calf body hair, one one of the two. Yeah, so I swapped that out. When I do chubbies, as an example, I don't tie that in the traditional way either. I double up the foam with two different colors, right? You know, so the top side of the color will be like an, you know, a vibrant color, like an orange or a red or a pink or something. And then the bottom, I'll stick it to another two millimeter. Will be, you know, a more usually a more natural color, right? Like a green or a tan or a brown or a black or something like that, unless I want to get funky. So now what this does is it gives me four millimeters of foam, so that it, it floats higher, it makes more of a plop when it hits the water, and I don't have to use as much polypro. I think a lot of the commercial uh, chubbies that you see are designed for out west when you're in a drift boat and you're looking at the fly from you know, 50, 60 feet away, and it takes 2X and a 6-weight and a rod to cast it, right? I like, to, I like to tie a lot of 10 and 12s in, in my chubbies for the East Coast. So I use more foam to help it float, less poly, and I don't use polypro. I'll either use Xelon or when I go to throw out a pillow, uh, that, that, that poly fill in the pillow is the exact same thing at least to me, Zelon is also the exact same. I, would you thing. open up a pillow? Do you have a pillow fight with Trent? What's going on? How no, do you in, in the middle there? No, it's the pillow starts going, you know, you go to change your, throw out your pillow, it's you know, never, save
3: it. Half the weight of your pillow after a couple years is just dead skin cells yeah. and fecal matter from mites.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe that, maybe that's, maybe that attracts the fish. I don't, I don't know, but that, you know, just whatever stuffing, you know, I think that's all that stuff is. So you use less of that. So it casts easier. And I I also kind of trim the tail and the head of the fly a lot closer to the bend and the eye of the hook than they buy commercially. You know, when you buy them commercially, it's like a size 10 looks like a size six, right? Because it's so long, because there's so much foam hanging off the front end of the back end, right? And so much poly uh, on the wing um, so, so basically, I just do a, a little bit of a trimmed down version with a little bit of extra foam. Right? right? I'm going
3: to ask you your favorite patterns for each type and popular ones or most popular store ones. So you, what's your favorite ant again? Travis Perry ant. And that's the one you tied up on Instagram like a week ago?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
3: What's your favorite beetle? We already heard that. Flathead beetle. Yeah. Or, or Rosenbauer beetle. Those are my two favorite. If you were going to throw a cicada pattern? Black boogle bug. Excellent. And would that be what you're going to be selling next year when the 17-year cicadas come out?
2: Yeah, prob- probably. I mean, you know, th- those are so easy to th- – that does not have to be spot on, man, at all. So, so just, a, just a black boogle bug. That's all you need. Grasshopper.
1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: You know, I'd, I'd have to say a, a Dave's, Dave's Hopper, because I can cut the legs off. The reason I say the Dave's and not the Latour is I can take my nippers and I can, I can doctor it up to become a Latour copper with a post yes so i like it i do a lot of cutting flies down and stuff like that so favorite caterp- favorite caterpillar um i don't i don't have one but you know i mean i guess you count the inchworm is that so right green sand wand. yeah yeah inchworm
3: my clients keep saying good heavens man there's a lot of spiders in these trees i'm like no they're caterpillars. you your fly <laughs> underneath it because those things are probably yeah. falling out. What about a mice pattern? You got a favorite mouse?
2: You know that I've caught I've caught some fish on that uh what is it, the Moorish mouse?
3: Moorish mouse. And Ken Morris has one of the best hoppers out there, too. Does he? Great, great balanced flies But
2: but I want to turn you on to this guy and 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 give me a second, because I when I tied mice patterns and I, i'm giving I, i'm giving you some right some of the mouse yeah. stuff that I've tied i have tied. think in. that the one you gave
3: me ended up going to a client who was going to go night fishing somewhere oh, i was cool. like dude you know what this is going to do you a lot more good than it's going to do me
2: so do yourself a favor and and check this guy out on instagram if you if you haven't he's from sweden and his name is uh andres anderson Right. And his handle is Andres 13 Anderson. And and I I think just based on his Instagram, I mean, he he's one of the most talented tires I've ever I've ever seen, specifically with 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 deer hair and specifically his uh, his mice patterns. I mean, he he does some just unbelievable work with his mice patterns and like heads on you know lich's double d's and 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 things like that so i i've kind of tried to model my mice pattern you know my my mice patterns after his and he does like little lemmings and things like that too of course mine are nowhere near as good as his yeah check check him out on on instagram he's one of my favorite people to to look at uh, mice and stuff very cool. What
3: about a miscellaneous? If someone's just coming in, they're like, "Ah, eh, just throw me a terrestrial."
2: Turks, Turks tarantula, man.
3: You got a favorite bird pattern? No, I've never.
2: You know, check out uh, Pat Cohen. Yes, <laughs> Pat. <Remember laughs> Parker?
3: The uh, really cool. Parker oh, yeah. Ste- He caught that on you know, the duck.
2: That's right. What is- That's he right. J-
3: So he just sent me a pe- like a text of a bag of feathers all over the ground. He's like, did you send these to me? And I was like, yeah, they had an expiration date, and they were going to explode like in Inspector Gadget, the letters. (laughs) And I just remember I got like 50 bags of mixed feathers from somebody and was just giving them out at Beer Tide, and nobody wanted them. And I think he took one home. And I don't know if he had a dog get in it or what, but, yeah. He caught that huge bass in Georgetown, I think, in Rock Creek on a duck fly.
2: I I thought it was at the uh, marina. Oh, maybe. I thought it was at Columbia Marina. I could be wrong.
3: What about moths? Mike Heck was a big guy I'm talking about moths in Pennsylvania, but he said he would get a lot of bats that would grab onto them, fishing. At I bats. have
2: seen, I have seen fish eat moths. I've never fished them. Never I've never had a moth fly. All right. I did, however, make an attempt at a dobson fly once. And I tied one with deer hair and pheasant tail pinchers. And it got eaten by a smallmouth that took it and on, on my, you know, 4X tippet that I was throwing. It. So, um, but it, it did not get eaten by a trout. It got eaten, eaten by a smallmouth.
3: Still pretty damn cool.
2: It is cool. Yeah. I,
3: I never tied another one. <laughs> We're going to talk about how to fish a terrestrial. What rod length and action are you gonna have as your preference in your quiver if you're gonna go out particularly intentionally fishing
2: terrestrials? Well, you know, look if I'm on the East Coast, it's almost always gonna be a you know kind of a medium action fly rod, right? Uh, you, you know, even on big rivers, I fish, I fish you know medium or or, or, or soft action. You know, basically the the biggest, the bigger the river. The the, you know the the more medium, the uh, the smaller the river, the the softer. You know, so an example is like you know if I'm fishing, you know one of the Shenandoah National Park streams or something like that. You know I'm going to have a seven to seven and a half foot three weight or or the tippet. Or, was the greatest or, three weight that yeah. Orvis company ever made? Yeah, like a you know a super fine. You know, or, uh, or our new recon rods, you know, uh, there, there was some discussion on the, on the TPFR form recently about recon rods. You know, rods that are under eight and a half feet are substantially softer than rods that are over eight and a half feet, right? So when you have a seven and a half foot three weight, regardless of the product line, at least at Orvis, usually they're a lot softer than the same rod in a, in a nine foot five weight, let's say. But, you know, just recently we were out, you know, again, and I, I fish Spring Creek, Fishing Creek in Penn's Creek and I fished a nine foot five weight H three F for you know, which is the the softer H three and and that works perfectly for those. If I'm out west, um, you know windier too. Yeah, i I might have a faster rod, but I still get it done with a with a you know with an F. I mean I think I think five weights, if you're fishing terrestrials a little bit bigger you know, fours and five weights of which you should be using. If you're out West, it should definitely be a five weight. All right. Do you ever
3: dress to blend in with the areas in the summertime during quote unquote terrestrial season?
2: No, that's a good question. I used to, when, when I was younger, I used to, um, you know, I used to wear darker, muted, more muted colors. Now I intentionally dress funky just because I don't, I don't think it matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, I try to get behind the fish or, or, you know approach in a way they wouldn't be able to see me regardless but you know when i when i was younger I, I definitely did but now that i've gotten a little bit better at it i'm not i'm not worried as much about that i don't have to catch every
1: every fish you know you
2: gotta spook some to catch some yeah dj daly that's that's his quote Yeah. You <laughs> what's your
3: preferred knot to tie to terrestrial do you want a little wobble action with the non-slip mono you know, man,
2: all my dry flies get a, get a regular clinch knot. All my dry flies. Not, a, not an improved clinch knot, a regular clinch knot.
3: And fluoro versus mono, because these are floating flies, do you want a little bit of sag in your tippet?
2: No, I, I'm usually fishing mono, but not you, you, all my dry flies, but mostly because it's cheaper okay? I don't believe, I am yet to see, you know, I, I know there's a sink rate difference, right, between, between mono and fluorocarbon. That's documented that fluorocarbon sinks faster. I, I've given this the kitchen sink test more than once, okay? If you drop 5X, uh, tippet. In your kitchen sink, if you fill up your kitchen sink, if you drop 5X tippet with fluorocarbon that's greased up with gel floating, and you grease up uh, 5X tippet and you drop them next to each other, they both sit there forever, and neither of them sink. For as many hours as you want to let them sit there, they will sit there. So I, I, I don't think that that game applies when you're dry fly fishing, certain smaller diameters, right? I I think that the sinking bass thing, you know, they got to, at first they have to break the film. You, you, You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't pay attention to that. Like, you know, I know a lot of people that dry fly fish with fluorocarbon specifically, because they feel it's more abrasion resistant, you know, and they say that, you know, brown trout or whatever, a little bit more toothy or, you know, they throw it up into trees a lot when they dry fly fish, whatever, they get caught and snagged. So they just use fluorocarbon and, and those people catch plenty, plenty of fish. So I, I, I don't know. I, I typically use, I typically like to use the mono because mono has a little bit more, you know, it, it, it lands with, you know, I can get it to land with a little bit more slack. It's a little less rigid of a product um so i feel i get a better drag-free drift with the with the standard nylon product rather mm-hmm. so that's why i use it and, and it's a lot it's a lot cheaper now if i'm if i'm nymphing i always use a fluorocarbon. card that's if the I'm next streamer, podcast fishing, I can't I always use it
3: that was last sorry.
2: podcast come on
3: sorry sorry bud all right when you present that fly How are you presenting it? Do you want leader out of the water? Do you want leader on the water? Do you
2: want the drift? Do you want a big splat? What? I mean, that's gonna, that's gonna depend. That's definitely gonna depend on the, on the situation. I mean, I think if I'm fishing to a rising fish, I don't want a splat, right? If I'm fishing for a rising fish, I want a nice drag free drift with a fly first presentation. So, you know, typically there's gonna be a mend involved or I'm directly behind the fish, you know, so I'm gonna try to give them just the fly, no leader. If I'm if I'm banging a bank from a drift boat, right, or if I'm searching, I want a splat, right. I want I want the fish to know that the fly got there, right. Um, so I often throw the fly on a downward trajectory, so I'll get a little bit more of a splat on it. If uh, if I'm fishing certain high gradient rivers, I might want no leader in the water. So, you know, rivers like the Lower Savage, you know, sometimes streams in the park when you're, you know, in the, in the national forests or like the Shenandoah, when you're going from plunge pool to plunge pool, or especially in low water, uh, fishing high gradient streams, sometimes you want to high stick your dry fly through just to make sure that you get a, you get a drag free drift. And when you're in that, those broken water situations, you can get a lot closer to the fish than you, than you could on, let's say, uh, a spring Creek, like, like beaver or, 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 uh, you know, Spring Creek in Maryland, or something like that. Thoughts on having your shadow on the stream? How do you approach the water? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I definitely spoke, spook lots of fish. I spook fish all the time because of my shadow on the water or casting over over fish. You know, and yeah, I'm notorious for that. You know, so it's kind of like a general rule. If you're fishing, you know, a small you know, to medium-sized body of water, you always just want to get behind the fish, right? Your shadow is not going to cast over the fish if you're behind the fish. They're not going to be able to see it. So upstream presentations are often the best, but you just have to get really good at the depth perception piece of where your fly is going to land because you don't want to throw the fly line over fish, right? You also want to make sure you fish the water in front of you when you're casting directly upstream. Upstream casting is kind of the you know has always been sort of the traditional way of doing it. There is something to be said for making downstream presentations. Um, you know you almost always get a drag-free drift, but you know the fish can see you. You you cast shadows over fish. The same with um, you know sort of what they call up and across. So even if you're casting across the stream to the fish, you know. As an example, my friend Dan devala who's one of the you know best dry fly anglers that I know, he prefers to be just downstream of a rising fish, casting above that fish with a um, with a reach mend of some kind, if if possible. You, you know, so you you always want to stay out of the fish's you know line of, of of sight, and as long as you do that, your shadow won't you know won't cast in front of.
3: Did I ask you what length your leaders are and your tippet strength? I think I skipped no. over that. These are definitely not yeah. in order. And I'm not going to edit them to make it in order either.
2: So my leaders are always pretty long, right? I don't use I don't go through a lot of leaders. I'm one of those people that repair my, you know, my leaders. You know, I typically my leader is typically one and a half times the length of my rod. Right. So if I got a, you know, a nine foot rod, my leader's probably going to be 13 feet or so. If I'm, you know, if I'm dry fly fishing, a streamer and nymph is a whole different, different ball game. But um, I I prefer, I prefer a longer leader. I typically don't lengthen that leader from the tippet section always. Right. So like, you know, I'll buy a, I'll buy a, a, you know, like a, if I want a 5X leader, I'll often get go and I'll get a, you know, I might go and get a, a nine foot 4X leader or a seven and a half foot 4X leader, which the butt section of that's probably about thousandths of an inch. So I'll go get, you know, a spool of, you know, 40, 45 pound test, which is probably also 28, 29, 000, 30 thousandths of an inch. And I might tie a cut off the perfection loop and I might tie, you know, four feet or so that 40 pound test onto the butt section with a, you know, with a nail knot or a, or a blood knot. And I'll tie a perfection loop in the back of that, right? So that's probably, you know, now I got an 11 and a half foot 4X leader, right? And so then I might tie, you know, two and a half to three feet of 5X with a blood knot you know, off the tippet section of that, right? So now I got a, you know, 14 feet, 15 foot 5X leader. And often if I'm fishing a nine foot leader, you know, just a commercial, whatever, 5X leader. And let's say I'm fishing a big river, like the, like the West Branch or the Delaware or the Holston, you know, South Holston. And I feel like my leader's too short um, and, and I want to, you know, getting advantage and the fish are spooky, instead of tying tippet off the end of my leader, you know, taking three feet of 6X and adding it to my 5X, you know, we we know that that doesn't cast very well and often won't turn the fly over. So instead I'll just pull, you know, four feet of 40 pound, you know, nylon product, you know, out of my vest and, and I'll tie it to the back, the butt section of the leader, right. Um, and then maybe tie a, then I can tie a little bit more six X tip it to the end or whatever, right? You need mass to move mass. So the first place you should add length in your leader is to the butt section, not the tip section.
3: All righty then. You ever do night fishing with yeah. terrestrials, say cockroaches, lightning bugs, other bugs that come out strictly in the evening?
2: None of the above, but my my evening go to is the White Wolf, right? So if I'm not mousing or streamer fishing, I'm throwing the White Wolf. I, as big as I can get, size eight usually, eight eight or ten. I can see that fly at night. It's amongst my favorite. I mean, I, I think it's the best night fly ever. You know, a guy um, a guide by the name of uh, Joe D Malderis turned me on. Uh, Captain Joe D. Yeah, yeah, he turned he on me onto that a lot of years ago, and he does night floats on the on the on the Delaware system. You know, he does mousing and and streamers and all kinds of stuff, and you know, uh, but when he does his night floats, he often he, he tells me told me about this this white wolf years ago, um, and I started using it on the Delaware, and you know, of course it worked. <laughs> like most things, guides tell you to do, they work. But then I started using it everywhere else, and that, and that thing just—I mean, you can see it in the moonlight. Yes. If you if you don't have white wolves in your box, you're you need to you need to get some because that's a that's a darn good fly in the in the evening time. If there's a spinner fall, white wolf, bam, boom. They'll come and they'll come and get it.
3: Yeah. Yes, yeah. I like the white wolf. What about droppers? What are you going to do with your lead fly? Like if I'm regular trout fishing, it's a white wolf or an osseable wolf with an RS two behind it. Have you ever do game. famously grasshopper and ant? What are your preferences for a two fly rig and why do you use them and when
2: and yeah, I use that little Travis Parent ant a lot. You know, trailing a, another uh, another searching pattern. I'll often have a I'll often have a chubby with a with a little you know, a little mayfly behind it, like, a, you know, maybe a little 18 atoms or something, you know, parachute atoms, something like that. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, especially an example of that chubby, I think that that thing gets a lot of looks, especially when you twitch it. Um, it's another thing we didn't really talk about, but if it has rubber legs, it's got them so that you twitch it, right? Yes, I, I do think that often I'll get looks at that fly and you might not be able to get them to eat, fly, eat that fly but if you have a smaller terrestrial behind it or even a smaller mayfly you, you'll often you'll often get that get that eat just like you do with the with the rs2
3: and what X tippet would you use between your lead fly and your
2: dropper it, it depends right i mean it depends on the size of the dropper right if i got a size 10 you know, let's say, let's say I got a size ten chubby Chernobyl, right? I'm probably tying that on with four X, okay? You know, you I'm sure you've I'm sure you can get your listeners. Okay, there's a matrix that talks about you know the size of the fly to you know what the tippet size should be to to throw with it, and it's not extremely rigid, but it's a good you know it, it's a good um, you know sort of roadmap. But, you know, like, let's say I got a size 10 chubby, I probably got 4X, I probably have a 4X leader on that. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to drop like a, you know, a size 16, uh, let's say Travis Perriant behind it, you know, I, I probably 5X, right? You know, 5X, 5X tippet off the, off the bend of the hook. Right. And if it was a, you know, if it was, a, but if it was a size 20, you know, I can see it, Midge, from Tom Baltz. I, I'll probably use 6X off the back of it. Right.
3: Alrighty. Do you ever sink your terrestrials? Drowned beetles, drowned ants, drowned
2: hoppers, drowned crickets? I don't sink them intentionally. There, there is a there's a hard body ant that I don't tie that I have bought commercially fully fully Mills does it that I, that I have used. You can Successful. make those
3: with gorilla glue. Is that what it is? I
2: figured it people, was. Some kind.
3: People use gorilla glue to make those.
2: Do they? Yeah, and I have fished that. I've never tried to make one myself. I'm sure I figure it out. I'm using a lot of the, that loon resin now. I'm trying to learn that stuff with the with the, the flashlight and, and all of that. My hands always are always covered in that stuff now. Um, it's really greasy. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't I don't sink them intentionally. Some people talk about you know sinking them and drifting them and putting split shot on a dry fly and you know uh, nothing n- not something I've ever messed with.
3: Is there anything about terrestrials I have been remiss
2: in asking? I don't know. You you've covered a lot of a lot of really really good stuff, man. Uh, yes, yes. Don't always throw them. Uh, I, I got one for you, especially fishing spring creeks. Here's a little funky tip. Often when you see a fish, like a trout, especially on a bank, you don't have to throw it in front of them if you have a terrestrial, right? You can often throw it behind him or in the middle of the stream and see if he'll come get it, right? So as opposed to, you know, if you're concerned about spooking the fish, unlike mayflies, I mean, I've hit, I've hit, you know, brown trout on the tail. Watch them spin around and eat a fly. Um, not that I did that intentionally, but, but, um, I, I guess, I guess my point is, is, is with terrestrials, unlike mayflies, you don't have to be in a particular feeding lane always. They'll come, they'll come find it, especially if it, if it plops, right? Um, but I, you know, I think, I think you've covered most of it, man. All right,
3: I got some extra questions for you now. Uh oh. What was your first
2: fishing vehicle my first fishing vehicle was a man um, I think I think it was probably a uh, I had a I had an s10 right I had like a like a late 80s uh, model Chevy S10. It was probably my first fishing vehicle. Very nice.
3: Where was the best day of fishing you've ever had?
2: The best day of fishing I have ever had was probably in an undisclosed bay. It was between an undisclosed bay on on Lake Erie for smallmouth, um, where I caught just a ridiculous amount of smallmouth that were 20 inches or better, very short time span on the Clark Fork. Uh, there was one night where it wasn't even a day, it was just a handful of hours fishing in the late, uh, late evening during uh, sort of the stone Stonefly period in Missoula, Montana, on the Clark Fork behind the Holiday Inn. Oh, motel, yeah, caught just me and some friends. It was a, you know, an Orvis thing, caught just a rich Ridiculous amount of trout on Pat's rubber legs, um, you know, easily in the hundreds. And in, in, you know, there were several of us, but in just uh, a few hours. All right. With
3: coronavirus and all being limiting factors, what are you most looking forward to about fall? It is going to be again in the fifties tonight for the second night in the row.
2: I know. I felt it walking home from work, man. What I'm looking to, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to some streamers this year. Um, I, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into some big, big trout this fall. There's a couple, um, there's a couple places not, not too far from here that, um, you know, we can, uh, we, 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 we've figured out some spots where we think a pre-spawn bite you know in, in some areas that have large wild brown trout that we fish often um you know we we think we've 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 found some spots where they will uh likely likely spawn where they will likely spawn and so what we'll try to do is you know before they do hopefully we get some we get some good weather um, we found some good places to you know streamer fish and nymph fish where we'll, we're likely to find some uh some big fish before that before that spawn occurs, so I, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing some of this new water that we've seen now in the in the summer a couple of times and looking for looking for fish to move into those areas. Are these pumpkin spice brown trout? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any rituals before you go on a fishing trip?
2: No rituals, man, you know no i I can't say I have any no what is the worst do you have any rituals Uh,
3: more on the way there music i always stop like on salmon river i always stop at sheets and wilkesbury even though i'm so over sheet sandwiches now (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a couple odd things i would definitely do (laughs) that if you watched over a long time you'd be like dude that's
2: a little obsessive coffee coffee you know, I got I got to have my coffee when I fish. My buddy Richard brought some uh, amazing coffee we did. He had a, a hand sort of this handheld espresso machine he did one night and a, and a French press. And we had this uh, typico was the name of the of the, the coffee company from Buffalo. And they had some amazing stuff, man. Really, really good. So, if you're in Buffalo, you got to check check those people out. Roger that. What
3: is the worst Nicolas Cage movie you've ever seen?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Uh, it, it, it was definitely the Midnight Rider was probably the worst. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen some bad Nicolas Cage movies, but that one that one was right. The, the guy where his head catches on fire or whatever. Yes. Yeah, that was that was the worst one. Okay. That's what that that's what that's called, right? Midnight Rider. I don't know. I know the movie though. Yeah, whatever it was. rate. I don't know what it was, but that, Ghost, that one Ghost Rider, maybe? No, Ghost Rider. Yes. That's yeah, that that one really sucked.
3: How, <laughs> how does Art keep his fly rod guides from icing up
2: in the winter? Uh chapstick, man. You know, I'll always pin chapstick. Little blisticks on there. And, uh, you know, and eventually it'll ice up, but you knock it off and add some more ballistics and that, that works really, really good. And you can even put some on the, on the fly line too, or some Carmex or something like that, that, that works really well.
3: All right. What do we need more of in fly fishing?
2: Mm, what do we need more of? We need I don't know. We need more. What do we need? Public water. I'm trying to. I'm trying to not say anything that's going to get me in trouble later. need water, um, <laughs> porta porta potties. Porta potties, that would be great. Um, my neighbor's
3: getting uh, an extension on his house, and yeah, every time we walk by during lunch, I ask my daughter if I can go use the porta potty. She gets really I, mad. She's she's getting the age where I'm embarrassing.
2: I think I think I, I think we meet I think we need more. Uh, I think we need more um, open-mindedness and, and, you know, multi-species anglers. We need to be fishing for more more species,
3: right? I dig it. Yeah. Uh, Van Halen or Van Hagar or Van Gary Sharon?
2: Uh, Van Halen. <laughs> All right.
3: What's a body of water everyone should have on their bucket list?
2: body of water everyone should have on their bucket list well having not been to a lot of the place you know the places on my bucket list i can't exactly attest to it you know i i think it would be really cool to go to that saint brandon's atoll uh for me and and tango with some of those uh, trevalles like that that to me looks like one of the coolest things
3: and you know what your terrestrial could be is a petrol fly or a, a- an albatross fly whatever the person <laughs> is.
2: yeah yeah sure sure
3: did carol baskin <laughs> kill her husband
2: oh yeah i i think she i think she did yeah, yeah. I, I really i really do i really do
3: do you have any questions about cheese to round out the podcast
2: um yes yes i do i do have some questions in fact we had you know we we dabbled in some charcuteries when I was uh, on our on our last trip to, to PA. Why are most Goudas so young, right? And we had, a, I had a great like age, you know, I was aged for five months Gouda recently. So, how
3: the, I have more than pronounced. one
2: cheese question, by the way.
3: How the is uh, it's pretty high fat content, but when you age it, it gets drier and that causes, uh, crystallization inside of it with the salts, like you do a Parmesan. So, if you get like Bemster XO, it and you don't have to refrigerate it because the moisture content is so low, you can leave it on your counter. That and red wine is just <clears throat> Bemster XO. But I will always hammer like garlic gouda, wasabi gouda, goat gouda. Goat gouda is by uh, Great uh, Dairy in Oregon. They also make lamb chopper and Midnight Moon. Oregon
2: makes the best cheese. So my next cheese question yes. is: is 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 like things like smoked cheeses? Is that kind of considered taboo? Is that like sort of entry level? Yeah, uh, there's
3: smoked blue like, cheeses, smoked cheddar, because yeah. you're doing it on a low temperature. So right. smoking cheese on the Traeger is actually a huge thing, not just smoking queso. We so haven't done
2: anything on a trigger is a, is a huge thing. Yeah. Right. Is Yeah.
3: I... <laughs> Bring something over and then we'll go through yarn while you cook something. I just yeah. made my neighbor wings the other day. I wouldn't let her cook him in the oven.
2: And when you're doing a board,
3: right. When you're putting
2: together a board, you should have it... a hard
3: cheese, what? a soft okay. cheese, a goat cheese, and then a random and it should be odd numbers and you should and not have if... any rinds on the side.
2: Okay, and then what kind of accoutrements are you going to put on there,
3: right? Like no. Salty Marcona almonds, dried mango, possibly figs, dried craisins, grapes, apple slices, and then a variety of meats. Cornichon go really well, too. Little salty pickles. Olives as well.
2: That's
3: good. Love right. cheese board. Sometimes we'll just do cheese board for dinner. That's all we did in Montreal every night for dinner. You and the then do you do, a,
2: do you do a preserve or like a raw honey or, or
3: truffle honey is usually pretty good and then the wife likes uh, quince paste. All
0: right.
3: But All if right. you can get Tupelo honey from yep. Georgia, the Orvis stuff, oh my goodness. Cuz that Tupelo <laughs> honey, that stuff is only like 2 weeks a year that those beekeepers can actually get it from the Savannah Bee Company.
2: Mm. Man. Okay.
3: I'm using a lot of Gruyere right now. We're making a lot of sourdough with Gruyere, we, we, did a Gruyere we had, jalapeno bread the other day.
2: I had some aged, uh, some aged. In, in when we were in camps, the, the thing though is I had three aged cheeses, and nothing else, right? And I had like a, a summer sausage with some apricot preserves. You know, I had like a like a, a sesame cracker and a you know like a multi grain cracker or something like that. I'd Go a light beer uh, with that. And I had some, uh, you know, I had some. I think almonds the first night, and I I put some pistachios on there the second night. You know, just kind of working with what we had, and some some apricot preserves is what we is what we did. And then um, we did it with that, with those uh, with those froth beers out of out of Buffalo. That was that was really good.
3: Yummers! I'm hungry now. And i yeah. need to go eat lunch or dinner. I've been working nonstop, <laughs> man, all day. I've not had a break. The yeah. damn lawnmower wheel fell off three times today. And I, got to, I had to order new parts. It was a fun day for me. <laughs> What's next for Art? What do you got between now and the Nymph podcast? Did we already do the Nymph podcast? No, we've done Dry Fly. We've done streamers. Didn't we do bass flies too? And bass flies, yes.
2: All right. We got to do nymphs next then.
3: Yeah, I guess salt water too, but it'll just be the clouser.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm not a good guy to do saltwater with.
3: with. would I just be... drew Chacon on for that.
2: <laughs> clouser half and half deceiver. Uh, what's what's next for me? So, well...
3: Bluegill Tournament's wrapping up.
2: Yeah, Bluegill Tournament's wrapping up, right? So So that's really good. I'm going to play around probably at gravelly this fall to try to find some stripers because i've never done that i mean i've I've fished at gravelly before but i've never really spent any time down there in the fall and now that i live you know so so close right i mean i could damn near walk there
3: um clauser with a snow white damsel dropper
2: all right all right
3: and they'll always eat that dropper okay we crushed Um, a bunch of small uh stripers over the weekend we did get about a four and a half to five pound largemouth on a gar clauser that was nuts
2: I got plans for that. When's the steelhead
3: trip? I don't know if it's going to happen because we can't all stay in the same big room together. And I'm watching my kid all day during virtual school. So maybe I can go up on a Thursday night and do a weekend. I don't know. I was talking to Dirty Bill today because they closed the lower fly zone sort of indefinitely right now.
2: You know what we should do, man? I'll tell you what we should do. We should go and visit one of my friends in Buffalo this year. And uh, Niagara River? Yeah. We I want should to go do the fish Niagara. The, fish the Niagara and he's got some really good friends that are chefs in Buffalo that own some various restaurants. And we should go do a podcast with some of the some of the chefs in Buffalo and talk about, you know, fishing that area.
3: I would like to get a lake trout out of that river.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We make that happen. You do it at Art Park. With Art No Black.
3: How many times do people put a letter <laughs> F in front of that park sign?
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sure I'm sure, uh, I'm sure. sure it gets done. I'm sure it happens. Yes. Yeah, when I was a little kid, they, they used to call me Art the Fart. When I was like really little, like in kindergarten, Art the Fart. They're Art so the
3: clever. Fart. Yeah, I know. It's They're like weird. kids calling me Rain Black. I'm like, wow, the <laughs> antonym of Snow White. You are yeah. such a brainiac. Check out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man! If you're gonna insult me, be clever,
2: <laughs> right?
0: right, right.
3: <laughs> All right, dude. I'm gonna jump, and oh, I'll check in with you and get you over here for some yarn and maybe yeah, some, some yeah. wings. Or I got uh, meat church dry rub today at the hardware store. Mm, Looking forward to doing cool. that. And I know well, you're a big fan you. of the chicken thigh. So yeah,
2: thanks, uh, thanks for having me, man. Send me a, send me a link when um, when you finish it. I'm going to send it to my buddy in Buffalo.
3: Roger that. All right, my man. Take it easy now. Laters.
2: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast.
1: For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.